0: So I'm super excited about the next couple of weeks. Uh, I want to give you a snapshot of what's going to happen the next couple of Sundays. Next Sunday, um, one of our very own leaders, Mr. Elby Vargas, will be speaking up here on Romans. So where's Elby? He's somewhere over there, I think. I don't know where he is. I can't see anybody. Uh, So he's going to speak to us next week about Romans. And And then two weeks from today, my good friend that you guys know well, Simon, will be here. To speak on Romans 2. so he'll be coming down. He uh, he is just itching to preach. And he said, "Hey, when I come visit you guys, he'll be at our house that whole weekend." And he said, "When I come visit, um, can I preach?" And I was like, "Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Wait, let me check. Okay, yeah, that's fine." Um, and so he's gonna preach uh, that that Sunday. So looking forward to that. Uh, Simon's a funny guy. He actually like he's coming down to see us for like a little mini vacation. He actually wants to work. I'll let him work, so he wants to preach, so we're going to let him preach. Um, so today, we are in Romans chapter 4. Turn to Romans chapter 4. Now, how many of you guys saw this movie, The Martian? You saw it? Did you like that movie? Raise your hand if you liked it. Raise your hand if you are freaked out by it. It's kind of scary, isn't it? It's like the idea of being that far away, and you're all by yourself. Um, so... Um, Whenever my wife and I watch movies, we watch movies a little bit differently. Uh, she's like the artist. She's the abstract thinker in the family. And, uh, and if you know in the back of any uh, DVD box, or you can go, go online and read these too, there's always like a general synopsis of the movie. Um, this is a pretty simple plot in this film, but some plots can be kind of complicated, right? And uh, I'm the kind of person where I like to read the back of the DVD box before I watch the movie, no matter what the movie's about, because I want to have the big picture in mind, so that when I'm watching, because here, here's, here's my issue, like I'm not a very good movie watcher, I'll start thinking about other stuff during the movie, then I'm like, okay, back to the movie, and, uh, and so I have trouble sometimes, um, like figuring out quickly, like what's really going on, um, I'm just a little slow like that sometimes, and, uh, and so I like to have the big picture that you read on the back of the box here. Um, So when I'm watching the film, I can easily fit what's happening in the film into the big picture that I've already read about on the back of the box. My wife, on the other hand, she's totally different. Uh, What she does, I will get my phone out at the beginning of a film and start reading the synopsis of the plot while the movie is starting. And she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm trying to see the general idea of the movie, right? Right. And she's like, see, she's like the artist. She loves the, this is her approach to movies. She's like, just let it take you on the journey, right? Just, 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 just forget about the details. Like, just let it take you for this little ride, you know? That's how she approaches film watching. And, uh, and so we just approach things differently. So I want to do a survey. How many of you guys, um, you do it the way that I do it? You read the big picture first. Raise your hand. No one. Oh, don't even lie. Don't tell me you don't know anything about the film before you go watch it, right? That's a lie. That's a lie. How many of you guys do what my wife does? Hey, okay, so maybe you're smarter than me. Congratulations. So, um, we're going to talk about pride this morning. Not really. Well, kind of. We always talk about pride in here almost every week. Uh, But the reason why I tell you this is because um, this is kind of how we're going to approach Romans this morning, is that I want to give you like the big picture of the chapter first, so that uh, once we get into a couple of verses, it will better fit into the overall big picture of the passage. Because um, raise your hand if you think Romans is confusing. It's a little confusing, isn't it? Very confusing book, but it's got a lot of depth to it, so we're going to be diving into that. So we're going to be, um, instead of reading every verse in chapter four, we're going to be looking at the big picture and just focusing on a few verses here and there through the passage. Uh, quick review, though, I'm going to give you a quick review of where we've been in Romans. Uh, here's a breakdown of our last several messages in the book of Romans. First week, we talked about spiritual breakthrough. Just the desire that we have, we are praying for many of you, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian yet, to have spiritual breakthrough where the gospel comes into full light and you understand what it means to follow Jesus. We're praying for that for many of you. The second week we talked about the gospel for the Gentile or the pagan. This is not meant to sound like a derogatory term, but the gospel for someone who has no idea about God or no understanding of who God is whatsoever, the gospel for the Gentile, went into the gospel for the religious And the gospel for the proud, this was the gospel for the Jews. So someone who's been brought up in faith or brought up in the church today, that the gospel would also penetrate their heart, uh, mind, and soul as well. And then we also talked about um, repenting of our good works. We don't just repent of our bad sins. We also repent of our good works. Here's what I mean by that. You and I always are looking to earn favor with God by our good works. And so we repent of our good works in the sense that we can't earn our salvation. So we repent of our good works if we are counting on our good works to save us. We repent of our good works. And then last week, uh, I listened to Kim's uh, message. She always brings it up here um, really, really well done. And she talked about the most important passage in the Bible. And this passage talked about how Jesus is both, God is both just, he's also the justifier he is just, but also the justifier um, of us. And so she discussed that last week. And then today, we're getting into Romans chapter 4. Here's the big picture question that I want us to um, look at today. And here's the question. How are people saved before Christ came to die for our sins? You ever wondered that question? Um, if, 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 you, if you ask someone today, hey, how do you become a Christian? We would talk a lot about Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and putting our faith and trust in that truth. But how was someone saved before Jesus came to die on the cross? This is a question we're going to wrestle with as we go through this passage this morning. So I'm going to put up here on the screen, this is the, this is the back of the DVD box I'm going to give you right now. So Romans chapter 4, here's the three main points Paul's going to make. And then we're going to talk about um, how this unfolds in a couple of passages today. So the first point Paul's trying to make in Romans chapter 4, Paul is showing that people have always been saved by faith and not saved by works. It is not as if you're saved by uh, works in the Old Testament and then saved by faith in the New Testament. That is not how it works, as you'll see this morning. He also uses Abraham and David as examples to prove his point. And then he also gets into none of us can be prideful about God saving us. Now, when I read those three things... This is the back of the DVD box. When I read those three ideas, I know that many of you in the room, you just turn off and you're like, everything you just said up there, I already know. I already know it. And I want to remind you again this morning that part of this series in Romans, we are trying to cut a little bit deeper with you, especially if you're a church kid, and remind you that many of us say we believe in a salvation by grace but we actually live out a salvation by works. And we'll see this morning how we do that in just another way when it comes to our faith today. So if you're sitting here thinking today that, I already know all that. Like, you're the one I'm talking to today. You're the one I'm talking to this morning. So look at Romans chapter 4. Look at verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. And the point I want you to see in this, in this first passage is if you and I are saved by works, then we are right to be prideful. What Paul is saying is that if Abraham was saved by works, which some of the Jews thought he was, they thought he was saved by following the law, the code of the law, Then Paul is saying, then that means Abraham had a a right to be prideful. He had a right to boast if he's saved by works. The same goes for us. If we are saved by works, then we have a right to boast and be proud. I want to remind you, though, that all of us know, including the unbeliever, know that pride is not good or pride is wrong. Um, The funny thing about... I don't want to get into politics, but I'll get into politics. Um, you guys see politicians right now just spouting their accomplishments, and there's so much pride on display as people are just mudslinging and just back and forth locally and nationally, right? And But here's the funny thing about pride. Even someone who is not a Christian, someone who is an avowed atheist even, if someone is prideful towards them, that person gets mad, don't they? Like even the unbeliever knows that there's something wrong with pride. There's just something wrong with someone being prideful, and being arrogant, and being all about themselves. Even the person who's not a believer, I think, even knows there's something wrong about pride. So if if, if any of us, um, if we if we can understand this idea, if we're saved by works, then we are right to be prideful. But all of us know that prideful, being pride, being prideful is is wrong, and and is is not the way we should be in this world. Even an unbeliever can understand that and detect that. And they live these things out. This is why um, a guy on a football field, if someone is in his face or someone is showboating or someone is is too full of themselves, even the unbeliever wants to put him in his place because we know there's something just not right about being prideful and all about ourselves. I'll remind you again. um, We said that many of us believe in a salvation by grace, but live out our salvation by works. And if you and I derive any sense of pride at our ability to live out the Christian faith, then we are living out a salvation that's based on works. This is what we were doing. Look at verse 3. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly... Their faith is credited as righteousness. So how was someone saved? This passage is clear. Someone is saved, has always been saved through faith and belief. It's always been about faith. When this, when verse 3 quotes, um, it's actually quoting Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. It says, Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. This is the pinnacle verse Reminding us that we are always saved by faith, never saved by works. Genesis fifteen six is clear that Abraham, he believed God. He believed what God said, and it was credited to him as righteous. He's saved by faith in the Old Testament and the New Testament. This passage in verse 3, it says Abraham believed God. Believing God and believing God exists are not the same thing. It says he believed God. That means he put his faith and trust in what God said, the promises of God. You and I, believing God versus believing he exists are not the same thing. There's a difference. And this is what faith looks like. Abraham putting his faith and trust in, what, in the words that God said to him, the promises of God. And um, I think examples for us would be things like Mike Satterfield at the D-NOW this past week, and he talked a lot about Um, what are the things that you're hanging on to, keeping you from really wanting to follow Christ? What are those things? And I think you and I get this. This applies to us in this way. So if if you're hanging on to an ungodly relationship, if you're hanging on to some idolatry, you're not believing God. You're saying you believe in God. You believe he exists. You say that, but you're not believing God for his promises knowing that you can find your full identity in him you're finding it somewhere else when you and I hang on to idols we are not believing god we're saying we believe in god but we're not believing him in the way that abraham is believing him in genesis 15:6 whenever this kind of faith is present in someone true faith leads to gift righteousness what is gift righteousness? Um, when I want to I show you, whenever Paul uses um, a phrase like he uses the analogy of a gift and a wage, whenever Paul uses an analogy like this, um, we need to celebrate because Paul rarely does that. He normally just goes on and on and on, and it's like all this lofty language, and you're thinking, what in the world is he talking about? Then he throws in like a little picture, and you need to latch onto that and and, and look at it and go, okay, what is he saying when he talks about um, this being a gift, righteousness being a gift and not a wage. Whenever you and I have a job, it's a wage. You get paid a wage. What is the uh, minimum wage right now? Is it 725? Is it 725? Is that how high it is? When I was your age, it was 4:25 an hour. And my first job was working at Wendy's. Bad, awful job awful job. So when I was, when I was that age, I was like in my head doing the math. Okay, I worked like seven hours, so that means I'm getting paid not very much, right? And you're getting paid a wage, like you're getting paid a wage when you have, when you work a job, and they owe you this wage. So he's trying to point out that the righteous you and I get from God whenever we put our faith and trust in him, this is not a um, wage, it's a gift, And there's not really much in between. Like something's either a wage or it's a gift. There's no in between on that. And so I want you guys to dive into your first uh, three questions at your tables. Go ahead and discuss questions one through three. All right, so I want to spend the rest of this message really honing in on some ways in which we, um, as Christians, struggle to live out. We say we believe in a salvation by by faith or salvation by grace, but we live out a salvation by works. And I want to really focus in this morning on how we do that exactly in the realm of faith. Um, We have talked a lot about in this series how um, even though we're not saved by works, it doesn't mean that obedience doesn't matter, though. And so if you want to think of it in this, the, the terms of this concept, a Christian, a Christian is one who stops working to be saved, not one who stops working. A Christian is someone who understands their works don't save them, but does not mean they stop working and serving God in obedience. I think especially in our culture today, in our, our, our Christian culture today, we, we so much don't want to be legalistic and rule-based, that we'll just throw off obedience like, hey, I don't want to fall into the trap of, of having a works-based salvation. And so we just completely throw off obedience in the name of just not being legalistic. And this is not what God wants. God wants us to be in love for Him as we love Him that we want to obey Him. It's not meant to be a rule-based legalistic code. It's meant to be an expression of just, we love him and we want to obey him. And so a Christian is one who stops working to be saved, not one who stops working. I want to look at what saving faith looks like. Whenever I do um, baptism interviews, uh, students will come into my office, and it's actually often people that are just in the main service and they want to get baptized, they, they send most of the junior high and high school students to me and to Tim to talk to about baptism and uh, this is, let me just bring this down to the street level. So whenever I'm sitting in front of a student um, in my office, and I have to, I have to empathize because I know that many of them don't know who I am, and so they come into my office, they're like, i got to go get interviewed by the pastor, by one of the pastors, and I don't even know who this guy is. And I try to make sure they know, like, hey, um, I'm not going to bite. You know, it's nothing like that. Like, just, just chill. Um, this will be okay. Like, this is not going to be um, an interrogation uh, of you. But I do need to kind of find out, like, so, you want to get baptized, can you tell me something um, just about why you want to get baptized, and what do you think it means to be a Christian? Like, how does someone become a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? And I try to make the question real simple, but most of the time, these are the kinds of responses that I get, um, and I'll put these responses up here on the screen. So, I'll get responses that I can summarize like this, um, well, I've just tried to be a really good Christian, the best Christian I know how to be, and and I want to get baptized. I mean, it sounds like a tame answer, right? But I'm in love, I'm, I'm in love trying to just lovingly say, you know, well, I get what you're saying, but that's really kind of a salvation by works, and we're not saved by works. And so I just politely point They're like, yeah, yeah, I guess I get what you're saying. I, I Yeah, I never thought of it like that, you know. And so I'm trying to correct them and lead them back to this salvation by faith, not salvation by works. The second kind of response I might get is something like this. Um, because I believe in God and I try to do his will. And so here you see a mixture of, yeah, there's some faith, but there's some works mixed in. Um, yeah, I try to believe in God and I try to, I try to obey him. And, and so, yeah, I want to I wanna get baptized. And, but there's some underneath that, there is some, some faith, but also it's like salvation by faith and works or salvation by faith plus works. Then here's the, probably the hardest one to, um, to decipher. And it's this third response because it sounds so right. It sounds so right because I believe in God with all of my heart. I mean, how, how do you argue with someone's heart? Like, you can't argue with that, Like, but I believe it in my heart, I believe with all my heart. And this sounds like they're saying that they have salvation only by faith, but most of the time what it boils down to is, this person is seeing faith as a work. They're saying, I just have mustered up all this faith I know how to have, and I believe it with all my heart. Like, it, it's just all dependent on their faith and their ability to have faith. And this is so subtle how we do this in our own hearts and our own minds. But if you're like me, we have all fallen into this last one, if you haven't fallen into the first two. You see, you start to turn faith into a work. And you're always evaluating, how am I doing? How is my faith? And so this morning I wanted to do like a little... Uh, just share with you, like, when I was in high school, I was a junior in high school, and I came to this faith crisis where I just thought I was evaluating my faith. I was, I came to a faith crisis where I thought, man, I, I know I have faith, but how do I know it's good enough? Like, how, how do I know it's good enough to be saving faith? Like, how do I know? And for three days, I didn't, like, eat or sleep. I was on the soccer team at my school, and I'd be on the field, like, thinking these deep thoughts, like, how do I know I'm a Christian? <laughs> right? as the ball hits me in the face. And I was just wrestling with, like, how do I know my faith is good enough and is saving faith? And I was struggling with this when I was in high school for several, several days. And I want to show you just a quick picture of how I think. This is a very simple demonstration, but I want to show this to you. This is not a magic trick, by the way. And um, all I have under this blanket, is nothing special. It's just two buckets, that's it. Just two buckets. Nothing's going to disappear. No tricks. Nothing, right? And this is the way in which most of us, how we view faith. Very, very simple. Um, One bucket is labeled you. This represents who? You, all right? Very, very simple. This bucket, I can't pick up because it's full of water. I'm not that strong. Um, this one says faith. If you can't read that, this represents faith. So the water represents faith, and this is how most of us view faith, I think, in our lives. So maybe, um, maybe you're someone who professes Christ. Maybe you're someone that you're a fairly new believer, and so you've got um, like a little bit of faith. Like you're just, you're just starting out in your faith journey, and you've got a little bit of faith, um, maybe you kind of attend church like once a month. Um, you're you're starting to be convicted about a few things, but you know you're you're doing okay. But you're a fairly new believer, maybe immature believer, and so you view yourself as having just a little bit of faith. The second kind of person is someone who a little more serious. Maybe they have um, uh, done some things at the church. They serve a little bit. They have um, began to be convicted about certain kinds of sins in their life. Um, they have, we call it medium faith. So they've got a little bit more faith than the first kind of person that we just described. And so we're going to raise the level of that water just a little bit in this bucket over here, representing how much faith this person has. Now the third kind of person, I mean, this kind of person, they're like varsity Christian. And this kind of person, they are, um, they memorize the book of Romans. Like they're, they are um, wanting to be like a missionary. I mean, they are like really serious about their faith. Um, I mean, they just take it all seriously. I mean, let's just, let's just dump the whole thing in here. They're, they're, this person is awesome. They're just, they're so committed. Um, we just look at that person and go, man, look how much faith they have. Like they are just filled up to here with faith. And so you and I very often see faith as a quantity issue. We see this person is having a little bit of faith, this person having maybe medium faith, and this person having, oh, they have a lot of faith. They have a a lot of faith. And you and I begin to see faith as this quantity issue. And the good news this morning, though, is that the disciples had the same problem. And I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 17. We'll get there in just a moment. But you and I are always evaluating ourselves based on how much faith we have, the level of our faith. And I want to remind you this next quote, go, actually go back to my previous slide on that one, um, go back to my, there should be another quote in there about, to constantly examine whether you have enough faith is to turn faith in, you have that? Okay, there we go. To constantly examine whether you have enough faith is to turn faith into a work. To have faith is to not look at yourself at all, but to look only at Jesus. So often, you and I turn faith into a work. And we evaluate ourselves and are always measuring ourselves like this bucket. Do I have enough faith? I need, to, I need to increase my faith. And we see it as this work, this performance thing. Like, how much faith can I have? Is my faith good enough? Is my faith good enough to be saved? Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe it's not good enough. I don't know. I, I don't know where I stand with God. But the good news this morning is that the disciples had the same issue. Look at Luke 17, verses 5 and 6. When the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith, they see faith as a quantity issue. They see it as a quantity issue. Jesus replies, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, what is a mulberry tree? Anybody have a mulberry tree at home? You don't even know what a mulberry tree is, do you? I don't either. But Jesus is speaking like out of exaggeration a little bit here. He's trying to make a point. He's saying, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Now he's speaking in exaggeration to make a point. He's trying to say, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can do some amazing things, if you put your faith in me in that way. The disciples saw faith as a quantity issue, just like you and I do. Jesus increased our faith. And I want you to see just how Jesus said mustard seed. Do you guys have any clue how small a mustard seed is? I want you to raise your hand, try to get this thing out of here. See, I dropped it. I can't even pick it up. This is a mustard seed in the middle between my thumb and my finger. Can you see that? Anybody see that? You can't see it, can you? Kenneth can see. He's on the front row. Cheater. But it's there it is. It's about the size of a maybe a ballpoint pen, like the ball inside of a ballpoint pen. That's how small this is. This is a mustard seed. So what point is Jesus trying to make by using this mustard seed, as small as it is, in communicating about faith? The point he's trying to make is that we are not saved by the amount of our faith, but by the object of our faith. You and I are not saved by that. We are saved by the object of our faith, which is in Jesus Christ. And he's saying if your faith is like tiny as this little mustard seed... You put that faith in me, you can move mountains. You can, this is what it's about. It's, not, it's about small faith in a big God. It's not about the quantity of my faith. It's not about, okay, God, I've got to muster up all this faith inside myself so I can perform and be a good Christian and I can, no, it's not what it's about. It's tiny, small faith placed into a big amazing, incredible, awesome God. That is saving faith. This is saving faith. And I want you to see if you and I are always evaluating the quantity of our faith, we turn faith into a work. If you really boil it down, if this represents the faith that you and I have in Jesus Christ, and this is saving faith, who can be prideful about this? I mean, who would walk around and be like, "Hey, you know you want to see my faith? How, how amazing it is? Let me show you. Look at that. Pretty awesome. You see that? My mustard seed's bigger than your mustard seed, you know? I mean, really? I just dropped it. I can't even see it now. I mean, look at this. look how tiny these things are. Look at that. They're gone. You can't even see them. You can't even see him. That's my gift to you guys right there on the table. Eat them up. Eat them up. You and I are not, please don't throw those. I know I did, but, you know, I'm a hypocrite, so don't do it. Um, we are not saved by the amount of our faith. We're saved by the object of our faith. Go to my next quote. When you and I understand this reality, watch this it leads to just full-on honesty in the church because you don't have to pretend anymore to have this gigantic, amazing faith when you get this truth. Watch this. Next quote. Faith is trusting in or relying on a promise of God's work and not depending in any way on human performance. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is saving faith. It's trusting in and relying on a promise of God, and you're doing it with a mustard seed sized mustard seed size faith. This is what it means to be a Christian, to have this small faith, but putting that faith into a big God. Look down, skip all the way down to Romans chapter 4, verse 23 to 25. It says the words it was credited to him meaning to Abraham, were not written for him alone, but also for us. This is for the people Paul's writing to, but also for us as well. To whom God will credit righteousness. This means that God takes his perfect righteousness and he places it on you. He imputes it to you. And even though you and I still struggle with sin, that means we get his perfect righteousness applied to us. He credits his righteousness to us for us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So how does somebody become a Christian? They put their faith and their trust in the truths that are listed here in 23 to 25. If someone ever comes to you and says, so when I ask the baptism interview question, So how does somebody become a Christian? You can go to Romans chapter 4, 23 to 25, and and read this to someone and say, well, I I think you need to believe some things, not just believe the facts, but put your faith and trust in these truths. That means that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work for you on the cross, that God credits his righteousness to you for those who believe in him. You got to believe in the resurrection. It says, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. You've got to believe that he died for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. There are some very specific things you need to believe in order to be a Christian. Like, somebody can't, you can't just come in and be like, I I just kind of have this generic faith in a generic God and I'm hoping it'll all work out. It's like, no, the, the Christian faith is very specific. You put your faith in these specific truths about Jesus, and this is what it means to be a Christian. And I think um, I find encouragement in this because once you and I really get what I'm talking about this morning, you're going to realize that no one's faith is perfect. No one's faith is perfect. Go to our next quote here on the screen. The life of faith is not the perfect life. It is the life which clings on to what God has said he will do and which sees struggles, joys, and failures as means of increasing our attachment. To the God who makes and keeps his promises. So, even when faith feels small, even when your faith just feels small, you don't feel like you have a lot of faith. You know, you and I see this as a chance to lean further in to his grace and his mercy. We see it as a chance to to lean into him further, knowing that this struggle, this failure, this feeling of failure, like I don't have enough faith, God leads us to increase our attachment to the God who makes and keeps his promises. You, you see how this works. It's not about performance with your faith. It's not about making your faith into a work, another way of performing before God so that he can bless you and show you favor. And if it's something I, I've been passionate about even more recently, it's this, this idea. Can we just stop with most of us see the church You may not say it outright, but we see the church as this display case for shiny, perfect little Christians. That's not what the church is meant to be. The church is meant to be a body of people, a family, where people are struggling, they're broken. This imperfect people with an imperfect faith, a tiny mustard seed-sized faith, but putting that faith in a perfect God. What matters is the object of our faith, not the um, size of our faith. And so I want to encourage you guys uh, this morning, if you're already a Christian, if you're not yet a Christian or if you're a new Christian, I want to let you see that th- this morning, like you need to come on this journey with us as we as we live out this kind of faith, this imperfect faith, this small faith, um, but this this small faith placed into a God who is perfect and holy and righteous. And um, you know, April twenty-fourth, we're gonna have a baptism service out here on our basketball court for our church. And Mike Satterfield, our speaker for uh, for the D now this past week weekend, he said um, for many people that came to faith this past weekend at the Disciple Now, he said the next step in your spiritual journey should be baptism. I would love it if we've talked about spiritual breakthrough. I would love it if. There are people, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to manipulate you into doing this. I'm trying just to let you know that if you've not been baptized yet, if you're someone who um, wants to come to faith in Christ for the first time and become a Christian, we'd also encourage you to get baptized. And your baptism is a profession to this church and to the world that, yes, I want to follow Jesus with my life. I want to follow him. And I encourage, I would love to have many high schoolers and junior high students out there on that court saying, yes, yes. I became a Christian at the Disciple Now, or I became a Christian as a result of going through Romans, realizing I've been weighing myself, or I've been um, evaluating myself and my faith and making it into a work, and now I realize that, no, it's just my faith is just this tiny faith, and I place it in an awesome God. And I want to find my identity in him. I want to I follow him with my entire life. I would love it if we have a ton of high school and junior high students out there on that court, April 24th that say, I want to follow Christ. I want to show it today through baptism. And we'll talk more about that as it gets closer. But um, I want you guys to close out by, go go ahead and do your last few discussion questions at your tables. Go ahead and discuss to close out.